Um, now, what is this? Anyone tell me? A coin, thank you. What's it got on it? Which is the queen. Yes, now, what is the difference with this one? It's the king. It's the king. Wow, yeah, you're right. That feels odd to say, doesn't it? It is. It's, it's, it's what the new coins are going to be like. Any other differences that you noticed, other than it's got the king, not the queen? Anyone notice anything else? It's facing the other way. It's facing the other way, that's right. You notice? Apparently, every time, and it hasn't happened for a very long time, there's a change of king. The direction that they're facing changes on all the coins and notes. Um, and that's to, to symbolise the change that a new king or queen brings. I thought that was interesting. I don't know about you. Um, but I think it's actually quite a helpful idea for our, our passage uh, today. We're back in John's Gospel. Um, as a church, we were going through, working our way all the way through John's Gospel. Um, and and we're, we're, we're back in it after a few months away. But in the passage we just read, Jesus was making a claim about himself, unlike any other. A claim which goes even beyond any kingship of this earth. And, and it demands a radical change in direction from everyone who hears it. His claim was right there at the beginning. Do you notice it? I am the light of the world. Now, um, for those who are here, when we were looking at the previous bits of uh, John's Gospel, uh, you, you might remember that John had already, Jesus had already described himself as um, uh, the light for humanity and the light of, of life. He's already made astonishing claims about himself. But I think what we see here encapsulates a great deal of what the, all the previous chapters have shown and takes us even further. And I think it's a message uh, for all of us, whether we're committed Christians, and we've known um, Jesus for many, many years, or whether we're utterly sceptical. Uh, so please do um, keep that passage open. If you've closed it, open your Bible back up to page 1073 because um, we're going to be looking in some detail. And um, we're going to spend disproportionately long on that first verse we read. So if you feel like we've got uh, very little distance in the passage after 10 minutes, then don't worry. We're not just going to be here for hours and hours. Um, because that first verse um, is bursting with meaning and importance. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm going to see uh, five things about that statement that help us um, see how mind-blowing it is, see how uh, we need to respond. Firstly, it's a unique claim. Uh, these are all on your word sheets, grown-ups, if, um, uh, if you're interested in kids. There, there's some things in the booklets on your clipboards uh, to help you follow along. Uh, it's a unique claim. There's none like it. I am the light of the world. It's the second, actually, of seven I am statements that Jesus makes uh, about himself in John's Gospel. They're really the way that John ties together uh, his whole biography of, of, of Jesus. And actually, those two words, I am, are surprisingly crucial in the context of the whole Bible. Uh, the Greek uh, that this was originally written um, in by John uh, for I am um, is uh, a bit more unusual than in English. I am, you know, in English we say I am all the time. The, the Greek words 
uh, are, are a bit um, more like I myself am, or, or, or something like that, a bit more unusual. Um, and the translators have kept it as I am because of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, that little phrase I am, or I myself am, also occurs in prominent places. Uh, does anyone um, recognise that, that statement, I am, from anywhere in the Old Testament? Yahweh, thank you. The name of God himself, when he introduces himself for the first time personally, says, this is my name, he says, I am who I am, or I am, for short. Uh, Yahweh, or Jehovah, is I am. So when Jesus arrives on the scene and says, I am, again and again and again. We're meant to get something of why the Jewish people are so shocked, increasingly shocked as he keeps saying it. I am. It's a unique claim because he's claiming to be God himself. And here in particular, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, um, uh, again, we need to put this into context. This, he's speaking in the middle of a, a Jewish festival called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, and uh, we find out later on he's at the temple uh, where the celebration uh, particularly focuses. And it, it, the, the Feast of the Tabernacles was all about the way that God brought them to the land that he promised the Jews. Um, and, and, and they'd arrived. And, and there was a celebration every year. And during the feast, there'd be a special lighting of the golden lamps in the temple to remember the way that when God took them out of Egypt, he led them with a pillar of fire by night. Now, it might be, we, we think um, that was a bit unnecessary. Why does he need to lead them with a, with a pillar of fire? Uh, couldn't they have just checked the way on Google Maps and, um, and used their torch? Well, well no, uh, they, they needed help knowing the way, but, but also the dark, uh, in those days was, was a pretty big obstacle. Uh, trying to navigate in the dark. I don't know if you've ever tried. Your phone's run out of battery, you've got no torch. Uh, trying to get anywhere in the dark where there aren't street lights is pretty tricky and can be, feel pretty dangerous. It can be dangerous. These were slaves fleeing at the drop of, the, uh, of a hat with their children and the elderly and with everything that they had, there was no light pollution. In the dark, it was very dark. You could fall down a, a, a ravine. Um, and, and God provides the light so that they can go with him to safety. And Jesus says, I am that light. I am the God who goes ahead of you to lead you, protect you, to rescue you, to bring you to the promised land. He alone can get us where we need to get to. He alone can protect us in this world from, from its greatest dangers. He alone can rescue us from the evil and brokenness, not just around us, but inside us. And he alone provides light in the darkness of our world. Our world is dark. Even with the electric lights 24-7 at the flick of a switch, it's utterly dark. Stumbling around, guessing which way to go, which way to live. The only idea uh, is uh, that what you feel within 
should lead you. And that can lead you into all sorts of trouble. So Jesus is the light that uncovers the darkness and leads us in the right path. It's a totally unique claim. Secondly, it's a universal claim. Do you notice that? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This isn't just for the Jews, the the Israelites, uh, a few hundred square, square miles in the Middle East. Actually, it was never meant to be just for the Jews. Um, God had told Israel that you are to be a light for the nations back in Isaiah. Um, and um, uh, they often forgot that, ignored it. But Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Now, the world means two things in John's gospel. It can mean the whole of creation, everyone and everything. And Jesus is saying he is the light for everyone and everything. And it can also mean that the, the world opposed to God, uh, the world versus the heavens, the world of darkness in all its brokenness. And Jesus is saying that he is the light who can reverse the brokenness and change the darkness and bring people back to God again. See, Jesus' claim is universal. I remember to speaking, speaking to someone who's completely outraged at the arrogance of Christian missionaries, that they would go and try to convert people of other faiths to Christianity. Uh, he, like the majority of our um, culture, has bought into the philosophy um, called secular relativism. Um, secular Society has to run on things unconnected to faith, uh, to, to God. And relativism, which means everything's relative. All beliefs are just a, a product of cultural background and, and so on. Uh, so there, there, there isn't an, an absolute truth. And so if, um, if you believe in secular relativism, which most of our society does then the one great evil is to call others wrong, others' beliefs, because it's impossible. Now, um, that in itself is is very ironic. I don't know if you've noticed, because there's a kind of tolerance for everyone except those who are intolerant. There's an intolerance which lies at the heart of it. You cannot say that. You must not believe that, they say to those who believe that they uh, have a truth. Jesus says he came to be a light for everyone, Jews and Hindus and Muslims and Sikhs and atheists and agnostics. It's a universal claim. And that means it's a claim that every one of us sitting here this morning needs to engage with. If it's true, it's a claim which drives us out of our comfort zone to share with, with everyone we can. In, in joining the dots for grown-ups, we, um, uh, before church, uh, we, we've just started thinking through, we're going to be spending the next uh, few months thinking through, uh, how we can do that, share this life, uh, this light uh, with, with everyone we can. Because Jesus is the light of the world. 
It's a unique claim. You won't find it anywhere else. And it's a universal claim. It is for everyone else. And thirdly, and briefly, uh, it is a vital claim. Now, perhaps this seems obvious to you, given what we've already seen, but, but this isn't just an optional extra to human existence. Like, um, if you buy a car, you could go for leather seats, or you might not. This is the engine. Look at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is either walking in darkness, or there is the light of the world. The light of life. Darkness in the Bible doesn't just um, uh, depict stumbling around not knowing where we are or, or what we should do. But, but it also uh, depicts God's absence, God's judgment, separation from God. Um, in the beginning, uh, do, you, do you remember the very first words of God in the Bible? Let there be light. God spoke to create light where there was darkness, utter darkness, emptiness, void, infinite, meaningless desolation. And God transformed that with a word into clear, purposeful, glorious, beautiful creation. As he said, let there be light. Now light, remember, is not mainly something you see. It's the thing by which you see everything else. When it's light, you can see everything else that there is. It's not that we really want to, to look at the light. It's we need light to see that book we're reading, or, or where we're walking, or who we're talking to, or whether they're smiling or, or, or sad. And this is the life, light of life. Jesus is the light of life. He is the thing by which we live. The thing we need if we're going to not just see, but live. To, to, to relate rightly with everything around us. To relate rightly to the God who made us, and the people around us, and the world that God created. Jesus says, I am the way you can experience life. Truly, uniquely, I can do that for you. I can do that for anyone. And so he's vital. And so that makes the claim, uh, fourth point, extremely controversial, doesn't it? And finally, we get beyond verse 12. Well done. Um, so um, uh, this is a controversial claim, verses 13 to 20. You might be feeling a little bit hot under the collar because of what I've said this morning. Uh, well, if so, uh, I don't make any apologies for that. You're in good company. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged Jesus. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. They're, they're unsurprisingly offended by uh, what Jesus said, and they demand proof, understandably, if he's going to say this sort of thing. Now, actually... Uh, back in um, chapter 5, speaking to the same people, Jesus had pointed them to four different sorts of witness, uh, four ways to, Jesus, to see Jesus' 
who he says, for proofs. But here, he doesn't do that. Um, or, or at least John doesn't record him doing that. Perhaps because he's already done it. But instead, he responds to their particular accusation. And they say, here you are, appearing as your own witness. You're just blowing your own trump- trumpet. If we're going to believe you, we need someone else to say it. It ought to be others who prove your identity, Jesus. Well, listen to what Jesus says in response. Verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I'm one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And now you might have got a bit lost there. Uh, Don't worry. In other words, Jesus is saying, who do you expect to be my witnesses? Who do you think is qualified to stand for me and say... This man is God himself, the light of the whole world. I'm claiming to come from heaven. Perhaps you can appeal to someone else who's, who's been there and come back to tell you. No? Well, then you're going to have to listen to me. What sort of evidence would you require if not my testimony? And if you won't listen to me, if you're putting yourself above me in judgment, well, watch out, because my father also speaks for me. He can tell you that I really am the king of the universe. Now, I wonder if sometimes all of us can have a similar attitude as the Pharisees, whether we're convinced Christian believers or not. As Christian believers, it's tempting. When we know that Jesus is telling us to do something, which is costly or painful as we read the Bible, uh, it's tempting. Instead of just obeying, doing what he says, we say, well, I'll only do this if God makes it really obvious that I've got to do it. If he opens or closes doors, if he jumps through this or that hoop of mine that I'm going to put in front of him. And there's no sort of, there's no room for that sort of attitude. We don't have the knowledge or wisdom about life or about God to stand in judgment over Jesus' words. We've not, never been up to heaven. We've never seen the world in a bird's eye view. All we can do is trust him. So uh, it's tempting as Christian believers to have that attitude. But it's also a common thing for, for many skeptics. Um, I've heard lots of people say, if God wanted me to believe, he could just do a miracle and show me. Then I'd believe, but I've never seen a miracle. In other words, prove it, God. Jump through these hoops. Provide these sorts of proofs for me. And I'm afraid that Jesus says to you, that's just not the way it works. You don't get to sit in judgment over God. He's given us the right evidence for us to believe what is true. The claim is that Jesus came into the world to be light for everyone, once for all. He died, 
and he rose and he went to heaven. And the proof must fit with that. This one-off historical event. Because it was a once-for-all light. The proof is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God has very kindly preserved for us more historical records about that moment in history than anything else ancient. And so, when um, faced with the controversy of the claim, when tempted to to dismiss it as uh, far-fetched, we need to hear Jesus' point. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And so naturally then, uh, the, the people listening to him say, verse 19... Where is your father? Okay, Jesus, you're saying your father is a witness. Well, bring him out so we can question him. We might chuckle a little bit at that as readers because uh, um, uh, we think they're being a bit dense. He's saying his father is God himself. But this is such a massive claim that it's, it's not surprising that they, they wouldn't recognize it at first. And Jesus' response comes with incisive clarity. You do not know me or my father. You, the most religious of all the Jews, the ones who with everything you do strive to keep the law, you do not know me or God. If you knew me, you would know my father also. However religious we are, however much we try, we cannot enter into a relationship with God by ourselves. To know God, Jesus says, you need to know me. And if you really knew God, you would know me. They're explosive words, especially when we think of where Jesus is when he's saying this. He's, he's right at the temple, the, the, the epicentre of the Jewish faith. You'd expect him to be um, arrested immediately, don't don't you? But John um, repeats a phrase that he's used before, verse 20, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. His time to be arrested would come, but not until God wanted it to happen. Uh, the, The implication is clear. The people really wanted to seize him, didn't they? They were outraged at what he was saying. Um, uh, But they couldn't. Now that leads us on to um, uh, the final point. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it is a divisive claim. Look down again at verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you'll look for me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, literally I am, you will indeed die in your sins. Jesus explains to them, he is not just another person just like them. He is from heaven, not from the earth. When he says he's going away, he's talking about his death and resurrection 
and ascension up to heaven to, to rule the earth with his father. And they can't come with him because they're not from heaven. It's a bit like he's got a passport. I should have brought my passport to show you. He's got a passport for the kingdom of heaven, not for the a united kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. He can go there and come back freely. The rest of us cannot. We are citizens of the world, the world that is in darkness. We, um, Jesus says, naturally all of us will die in our sins. We're barred from the kingdom of heaven, from God himself, by our sins. There is a barrier between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven. Unless, Jesus says, unless you believe I am. That's the only way not to be cut off from God, to be barred from entry into eternal life. So they ask, well, what do you mean? What do we need to believe? Verse 25, who are you? They asked, unless you believe that I am he. Well, who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I've much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I've heard from him, I tell the world. They didn't understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you'll know that I am he, literally, I am. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Only when you've crucified me, Jesus says, lifted me up on a big wooden cross, will you get it. God is with me. Because I please God, you'll, you'll, you'll see that when you've killed me, I'm dead and buried, and then I, I'm raised from the dead and am lifted up into heaven. This is a divisive claim. People feel very two different, th- two very different things about him. That's what divisive means. Lots uh, believe, verse thirty, but that sits alongside the anger of the religious leaders, and we'll see that intensify uh, next week and the weeks that follow. Jesus divides. We've seen that actually before in John's Gospel. Jesus divides. He is from heaven. We are from the earth. And that division continues amongst those who believe him or those who are offended by him, who get angry about him, who want to kill him. Jesus divides today between unbelief that leads to death or belief that leads people to follow him, the the unique light of the whole world that leads to perfect, eternal, whole life. And each of us here needs to pause and think about our own response to this. Not just to sit on a past decision, but what are we doing with Jesus' words? How are we responding to this light? We need to analyse what we are really doing. Maybe we say we're believers. Well, let Jesus' words penetrate and examine, make you examine yourselves. Maybe we're convinced that Jesus isn't who he says he is. Well, let Jesus' words make you examine that too. I want to finish with uh, some words 
from our late Queen from her 2012 Christmas broadcast. I know it's not Christmas, but she said, This is the time of year when we remember that God sent his only son to serve, not to be served. The carol in the bleak midwinter ends by asking a question of all of us who know the Christmas story of how God gave himself to us in humble service. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd... I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. The carol gives the answer. Yet what I can, I give him. I give my heart. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to be light for a world in darkness. Please help us to live lives that are filled with that light. Help us to listen to all of Jesus' words and to walk in them and to share that light with others. Please, Father, with those here today who don't uh, walk in that light, who are still in darkness, uh, see by that light the truth about you and about themselves so that we might all share in the life that Jesus came to bring and respond by giving our hearts to him. In Jesus' name, amen.